0: Are you the product? Are you the product? Are you the customer? We're going to talk about that today on Your Money because a lot of people have the illusion or the delusion, I should say, that they're actually the client. They're the customer. And they're going to their advisor, who's who's really a broker or an insurance salesman, cloaked as an advisor. And if you're working on commission or conflicts of interest, It's hard to call yourself an advisor in my humble opinion, but in any event, are you the customer or are you the client? Are you getting non-biased advice? And that's going to be really important. You know, if that's going to be the theme of the show all the way down to the mailbag because you're getting herded, you know, your advisor's the rope or you're the cattle and he's leading you to market. Okay, I've got a couple articles on the mailbag. I'm just going to do a quick bribe by and hit the high level topics because that's and if you want to go read them and go ask me questions about them later, that's more than fine. Okay, one of them, Advisorpedia, the, the, the headline is lean on the big giant, meaning PIMCO, the bond company for your retirement planning solutions. Now, how much you want to bet that PIMCO is a big advisor of Ad- Ad- Advisorpedia? See, PIMCO is the customer. You're the cattle. You're the product. You're getting delivered to market, and then that leads me to how people feel about brokers. That's another article. Great article. Why? Well, the huge commissions, the int- uh, you know the huge conflicts of interest, the commissions, back end surrender penalties for years. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, that's just getting me started, but it simply means you're not a fiduciary and you don't represent your clients, Okay, So you got to figure out how they're getting paid. And then one last thing, uh, back to the banking, we're always talking about real estate and banking. And there's an article. It's a good one. Is the Schwab empire slowly showing signs of cracks? Folks, here's the irony. This Frankenstein, the fed created has actually hurt the most conservative BDs on Wall Street because they had more bonds than other uh, investment banks that may be doing more speculative strategies, stocks, bonds, whatever, right? But the more bonds you had, the bigger the losses you had on your balance sheet. That's why they had to do that accounting trickery, accounting stuff, and moved them from available for sale to held to maturity so they didn't have to recognize those 20-something billion Dollars worth of loss, 23 to $29 billion worth of losses. They just moved them to the unrealized category, so we just don't look there. But it also is a problem with paying the, 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 the depositors at higher rate, because short-term rates are higher, and then they have the long-term bonds trying to cover it. So that, that, and nobody really has clear visibility of what that means. But you know what? It's showing up on the charts. Banks and commercial real estate are actually the two weakest sectors. Don's been talking about that. He's going to talk about that a little bit later. So banks and real estate are in trouble right now. Do you know where the big safe haven is? The safe yeah. Big tech is actually rallying, but it's not for the reasons you think. You think, oh, tech stock's coming back. Everything's good. There are businesses expanding. No. The big institutional money and the hedge funds, they're scared of the real estate and they're scared of the big banks. They're just looking for some huge, strong economic bellwether that's highly liquid that they can stuff money in because they're a little worried. So they're buying Apple, these big liquid stocks. So are the tech stocks rallying on their own merit? Or does that just seem to be the place to be? We're going to kind of go over all that, and then um, uh, by the way, remember I was talking about, Are you the, the customer? So there is a, a uh, article out, another one that talks about why real estate, real estate, is a good buy, is a good value. and they're trying to push that. Wall Street knows that banking. And real, and real estate is in trouble right now. So you got BlackRock and all these big investment banks that are trying to smooth it out and say everything's fine. And so you see all these advertisements and all these things talking about how it's a good value play, how it's a good investment. Now's the time after this big correction to buy real estate and, and or bonds or banks. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. The charts will tell us. But don't just go out there. and Normally, when they're pushing stuff and telling you it's a good time to buy, a lot of times they're trying to shore it up. You're not the customer. You're the product. They're helping you support their sector that needs help. Don't forget that. It's very important. And this is how the traditional, uh, traditional advisor brotherhood works. You need to understand that. They want you to take action Their action, what they want you to do, but is in your best interest. We're going to talk about that. All right. So very quickly, I want to do the mailbag, and then we're going to get pretty straight into the markets. And the bailbag is related to this because, again, they're playing on your fear. Uh, hi, Danny and Don. Happy to see the market's getting some reefless, relief this morning. This was 329 2 days ago. Then I read a tweet stating $49 billion of variable rate office debt will mature and need to be rolled over this year. Predictions, a wave of defaults of commercial real estate loans, 80% debt carried by the banks. So not only are the people that own a bunch of real estate going to be in trouble, they financed it to, through the banks. The banking and real estate. Kind of sounds like 2008 economic crisis. Wasn't that banking and real estate? That's why big money is moving into big tech companies just to hide their money. Okay. So it said, thoughts. Are you guys concerned and or watching this? Maybe something Michael can dive into for the big show. Hope it's not as bad as they make it out to be, but I'm a commercial real estate broker. And I know here in California, we have an oversupply that is now getting teed up for possible conversion to multifamily. That remote working kind of took away the office space demand. Anyway, it's no longer about building but converting or, dis, or, or destruct, uh, destructing some of the office supply. This is such a big hangover, especially post-pandemic. Interesting times, KC. Me, KC, this is a good article about the headwinds. She sent the debt rollover article. It's in the show notes, actually. Um, this is a good article about the headwinds of the big debt rollover, both in real estate, banking, and corporate debt in general. I've spoke about this a few months ago on our podcast, and Jeffrey Gunlock has been sounding the alarm as well. This is the banking crisis the Fed created, the Frank, and Frankenstein the Fed created. Uh, this has been known by the big institutional funds and is already priced into the markets at this point. And, it, and currently the markets are thus acting resilient with some chop. Okay, so the sell-off just a little while ago was probably why. So it says, if as it becomes work, it will show up in deteriorating charts, and we would take uh, uh, defensive action. In fact, the debt and banking story is the likely cause of this previous market weakness a couple weeks ago, because markets normally front-run the news. In fact, whether right or wrong, the media will often backfill a story that makes sense and fits the narrative as to why the markets just did something. What I'm saying, folks, is the market does something. It sells off big time. So they go and write a story of of why it potentially did that, whether it's right or wrong. Or you get a big rally, they write a story the next day about why that worked. They backfill it. Thus, the market's price action, while not perfect, is a better leading indicator than the financial articles. There will always be something to worry about, especially when the media plays on fear and greed. Some of the biggest uptrends were the market's were when the markets climbed a wall of worry. Always look at what the article may be trying to do or actions they want you to take. Look at their advertisers. Usually when it's fear, the advertisers are insurance companies pushing indexed annuities or guaranteed lifetime income or BDs are pushing their buffered products or buffered ETFs. I always count and classify the advertisers in a magazine or commercial on CNBC TV shows. And then it becomes more clear who the, uh, whether I'm the product or the customer. Uh, Did you know, and this is an interesting thing for you guys, if you don't know this, on CNBC, a lot of these experts they have, those are pay to play. They have a guy on from so-and-so advisors for three or five minutes. He pays three or five grand to come on there. He gets a little video clip. Now he can puts it on his website. Now he can be called a CNBC contributor, but he just paid his way in. Didn't know if you knew that. Thus far, as investing, if the charts for real estate and commercial or otherwise begin breaking down, uh, we would be out of we would be out of that and possibly shorting using an ETF. Don's actually going to talk about that pretty soon. As far as occupational in your job, if there's a commercial real estate, if you're still in commercial real estate and do not do any multifamily, things could get competitive very quickly with fewer deals. I do think Main Street is slowing down and we are headed for a recession unless policies going forward by the Fed and the politicians improve and we get any real recovery. The good news for the markets is they will also front run in, in or coming out of a recession and will rally while things are still tough. That's what people, and it may be happening right now, actually. Uh, my two, uh, this is my two cents. I cannot speak for Don. This is a great topic. And even though I went a little off topic, it is related and important. Thanks, Dan. So folks, the point is, she sent me this article about all these big problems in real estate, which there are problems in real estate, but the big money's known this for months. And now these articles are just coming out. And a lot of articles this past week, or about why you need to value invest, why banking stocks are a good deal right now, or why these uh, uh, real estate stocks, or you know, BlackRock is a great place to be. It's because they're pulling out of the, all the stops and they're advertising because they need some support. They need your money. The question is, do you want to give it to them? Is it the best risk reward for your dollar going forward, or is there a better place? Um, Don, I do have one more very quick, uh, 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 uh mailbag I want to read real quick. And then you could probably tie that within everything. Or do you want to wait and comment on this now?
1: Go ahead. Yeah, go okay. ahead. Read the mailbag.
0: Okay. okay. So that, that's that kind of tee up because she's reading all these things and trying to interpret what this means with all these forecast, which by the way, did you know that none of the earnings forecast? Before the banking crisis, before the, the big losses on the banks, and before the real estate started pulling back, they had earnings forecasts for, the end, for this year, what these stocks are going to be. Do you know they have not revised them materially at all? The forecasts are still the same. Post, a month later, banking crisis, where we know the banks are going to take a hit on their earnings, and real estate's going to take a hit? Seems like they would have adjusted those. Just saying. All right. This is another mailbag. A few years ago, I was pitched on investing with an algo trading platform called Total Unbridled Growth, Tug. The claim of Tug would it identify play, and play the trends long and short and always be increasing profits with one catch. Slow grinding slideways action. That's always the hardest. Tug was not able to work in that environment. My question about protection has to do with this kind of environment, one that teeters on melting up, then down. Above, then below the 200-day simple moving average uh, over and over for an extended time period. Seems tough to trade. How do you approach that market that behaves like this one? One that could be a slow bleed of capital and sanity, even for protection. Thanks. Loving those videos. T, by the way, he's talking about the videos we put out every single night the markets open. If you don't get those in your inbox, go to Revere Asset in the top right corner, hit subscribe, stick your email address in there, and you get our newsletters, our free content of what we're actually doing every day in the markets goes right to your inbox, and we won't spam you and reach out to you. So, Don answered this one. Don, T, you identify the absolute toughest of market environments. The key is to ID the range meaning the size of the range, top to bottom, take some profits at the top of the range or on false breakouts and focus buys on pullbacks or false breakdowns. Thanks for reaching out. Very quickly, folks, what that kind of means is when you're range bound, you're trying to buy at the bottom of the range and sell at the top. So you kind of got to change that the strategy where in a trending market, you're buying on the way up on increasing volume on momentum and you're not doing that in a range-bound market. That's why it's so important to identify the market you're in first, and then you know how your strategy should be slightly adjusted. For instance, in a big bullish primary uptrend, a full position size may be uh, 8%, possibly even in 10 10 for a liquid enough big stock. In a very difficult market, number one, you won't have nearly as many positions, you'd have more cash or treasury bonds, a full position may be only 5%. So that's why, and all your position sizes would change accordingly. So with that backdrop, I'm going to go to Don and the Ramrick team. team. Don, take it away.
1: The Ramrick team, do you think you know what that is, Dan? I'm going to explain it
0: afterward. I'm, don't steal my thunder. I'm going to bring it up later. I'm going to see if any of the guys know what it is. But go ahead
1: they don't that's that's before their time i know so so comments on the emails uh first of all we went to uh with the follow-through day this week we we changed our market state also the same day uh to uptrend but put a disclaimer on there to exclude financials and real estate uh i'll talk real quick about this uh this is a chart of the s p 500 and you can see the breakout on Wednesday, follow through on Thursday, and we're continuing higher on Friday. Contrast that with a chart of the financials. And this chart isn't even as bad as the banks are. They're trying to put in a bottom, but note the terrible relative strength and how they are from there. So if there's going to be issues with the bank sector, uh, this hasn't even rallied into the declining 2021 moving average it does and uh more issues come up with the bank sector like for example yesterday's uh blow up du jour was mcb uh, Metro bank it's not a huge bank but it's big enough that it's included our e regional banking index which, which is terrible as you can tell from this chart uh but if it's if stocks are going to continue and when i say uh, if financial stocks are going to continue to have issues and you can be you can be long the rest of the s p 500 and short financials if this rallies into this green line the declining 21 day moving average and fails there's an etf that's very liquid that goes up when financials go down you can see the rally here it's consolidating its gains just the same way the financial index is consolidating its losses. It's called FAZ, it's a three-time financial, uh, and you can see it's sitting on the 21-day moving average, which coincides with- Inverse financial. Inverse financial, right. So financials go down, this goes up. The other uh, option was real estate. We talked about staying away from real estate also. Real estate has been slightly stronger because there are pockets of the real estate sector that are acting fine, particularly apartment complex construction uh, and single family home construction with the home builders. But there's a big problem with commercial real estate. Uh, XLRE, this is the overall sector, got back above the 21-day moving average today, but if that starts to roll over and fail, there's an ETF named DRV inverse uh, real estate three times. You see it broke the 21, just the same opposite way of uh, how XLRE and also IY are there are several real estate indexes. Uh, Those got back above their total the last couple of days. But if real estate starts to roll over again, you can take advantage on the downside by DRV. If financials continue to stay weak, you can take advantage by FAZ. That said, we did have the follow-through day this week to the upside. Uh, Tech stocks to act much better than the overall S&P 500. You can see the NASDAQ 100 here breaking out of this recent base. So showing superior relative strength uh, to the S&P 500 and certainly superior relative strength uh, to see how that's not at the highs yet, 41.95 high uh, back here in late January. Uh, Similarly, uh, small caps remain weak. This is the IWM, small caps, getting back above the 21 day moving average today. So that's a good sign as we're seeing broad strength after that uh, PCE inflation report this morning showed inflation not as bad as expected. Uh, we're having a follow through to the upside, and we're having superior with small and mid cap growth stocks that we traffic in. And this is where the RG7, our six seven uh, ETFs that are a growth composite, they're all up today more than at least double. Uh, what the S&P 500 is doing with the 1 PDP, which is in line with the S&P 500. Uh, So we're getting positive signals on growth stocks across the board today. When I look at my uh, quote list, Uh, semiconductors are lagging today because China uh, is trying to get back at us for going after TikTok by scrutinizing some companies. But despite the fact that semiconductors are lagging, the NASDAQ 100 is still up seven tenths. The S&P is up seven tenths. The Dow is up six tenths. Uh, Mid caps are up 1.4. Small caps are at 1.8. This is as 1115 Eastern Time on Friday. Uh, And as I look at my leaders list, I'm seeing plenty of leaders up three, four, five, six percent. This is the type of action that we absolutely want in this market. and honestly, couldn't ask for much more coming off the box of Friday, where it looks like we had a shakeout in small cap stocks uh, and in financials and in real estate. And then we continued with strength to the upside in the larger cap indexes. Uh, I showed the S&P, I showed the um, NASDAQ 100, and the Dow is following through uh, back to the upside as it regained uh, it's 21-day and 200-day moving average this week. So market has improved markedly this week, follow-through day uh, on Wednesday, additional strength Thursday and so far on Friday. And we've got gross stocks joining the party uh, in, a, in a major way today on Friday, with the exception of semiconductors, which had been leading, but that's because of China. So uh, certainly some good signs uh, coming from the market. Uh, and to the second email that you talked about, uh, prior to prior to really today, it was a level-to-level market. You can see various ranges. Uh, here's a range. We graduate higher. We get in that range. We graduate higher. We get in uh, this range in February. Then uh, with the banking issues, we started to sell off and we broke below. Uh, but now we're creating, uh, we're at the top of another range and breaking out of a range on the on the Nasdaq 100 at the top of the range, on S&P 500. And let's take a look at IWO here. Uh, this is growth stocks, small cap growth stocks, uh, breaking above the 200-day moving average. And let's go to RK. This is really. Uh, breaking above all resistance into this 40-level. Now, Art K, these are leading growth stocks uh, from Kathy Woods. This did not make a low along with the small cap growth. So uh, this is another way to play it. And you can just see this SPXL, that's the S&P 500 uh, growth component. Actually, that's a three-time SPXL. Uh, making a new high also along with the S&P, new recent high along with the S&P 500. So uh, they're going the way uh, bulls, growth bulls, would want them to since Wednesday of this past week. Uh, keep watching our videos. If that changes, will change, and we'll point it out on the videos. Uh, the 21 over 21 is acting fantastic. We upgraded uh, leading stocks to uptrend slash bullish last night's video, uh, and stick with us. We'll keep you on the right side of the market.
0: All right, thanks, Don. Hey, you know, Don, can you hear me? So the one one thing that you always hear, the old adage on Wall Street is the markets can't rally without the financials. In other words, if the financials are acting badly, it's really a big headwinds for the markets. And actually, kind of that might be a decent rule of thumb. That's not what's happening right now. The banks are actually that's very great-
2: weak, and, and, and it's because yeah.
0: of an unusual circumstance. The banks are normally the flight to the safety. The, they've got all the money. Well, now they've got a liquidity crisis, and they, they don't have enough money, and they're relying on the Fed, which I think the Fed is going to say, Uncle. But that's the problem. But the market breadth, the number of advances versus decliners, all that stuff has been doing very well and increasing in all the other sectors. And so, with that, we're we're going to actually probably talk about that. Don, take, go ahead and bring in the guys.
1: Yeah, as bad as bad as the biggest banks uh, have been, not as bad as small banks, obviously, or the regional banks. They had been at their lows uh, earlier this earlier this week and late last week. Had only been a drag of two tenths of one percent on the S and P 500. So, uh, not that much damage. They're not weighted as strongly as they used to be in the past, with tech really taking over. Uh, And the S&P 500, if if one or two sectors aren't doing well, that money flows into the other nine sectors. You know, that's one of the reasons why we keep uh, a leveraged uh, S&P 500 ETF as a ballast for the portfolio. Uh, because as money moves from growth to value or vice versa or from one sector to another sector, all that rotation takes place within the S&P 500. That's why uh, if you stick with one discipline, it's very difficult to beat the S&P 500 overall unless your uh, specific sector or manner of investing is is in favor. And uh, when growth's not in favor, we rely on that uh, leveraged S&P 500 to take us higher. For example, most of the uh, 75% of the gains that we had in the portfolio this week came from our leveraged uh, index ETF as some of the growth stocks that we own took a break. Uh, So we're going to rely on that when the wind is uh, blowing behind us when it's a tailwind, and not rely on it so much uh, when it's a headwind and certainly not rely on growth stocks when they're out of favor. So let's move on to uh, our three segments from uh, the fine gentleman that I'm very privileged to work with as analysts and helping me manage the portfolios. Let's start out with Ted uh, on his breadth numbers. Brett, Ted, let's start with um, let's, uh, sentiment. We discussed this uh, yeah. a little yeah. bit this week about how negative sentiment was, and that negative sentiment Acts as a contrary indicator, and it's contrarian bullish. So you can see here what I'm showing is the yeah. latest AAII. It bottomed two weeks ago at a very low level. Historically, we've got 37.5%. Bulls, we were down to 19% two weeks ago, and only up to 22.5% this week.
3: Yep. And going off what Don said, just recapping what I talked about last week, exactly what you just pointed out. Um, I noted, if you were to go back and watch, that bearish levels were extremely low. If you need to pull up the CNN Fear and Greed, the the line chart, I noted last week that we retested October lows um, with regards to fear. However, price held above December highs. And this week we staged a day 13 follow-through day on the NASDAQ and S&P 500. with with breath improving as well. Um, So this, the bear sentiment um, from the AAII that came out Wednesday was still extremely bearish. And that just adds potential, like that just gives um, more fuel to the fire for a potential um, greater rally here. Um, So continue on, let's talk about some charts. Can you pull up the net highs and lows, Don?
0: Just to clarify, uh, Ted, you, real, just to clarify real yeah. quick, that 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 fear and greed and the AAI sentiment—that's used as a contra indicator. So when you only got 19% bullish and 79% bearish, that means most people that were going to sell, there are a few buying holders that will just shut their eyes and ride it out through thick and thin. But the more people you have bearish means they've already sold moved to cash. So it only takes a little bit. Everybody that's gotten out of the way that was going to get out of the way has gotten out of the way. So you only need a few buyers to spark a rally. So that's actually used. So the more bearish it is, actually, the more bullish it is. That's counterintuitive. Go ahead, Ted.
3: And Don, actually I wanted to point out one thing. Do you mind pulling up the S P five hundred chart? Yeah. Okay, so the follow-through day was on three twenty nine. I'm gonna give a quick lesson about candlesticks and some things I've learned over the last few months. So that follow through day was actually an opens equal low and we call those OELs. And that means the open price is the exact same as the low of the day. And that just shows tremendous power. And that was the same day where we broke above the 50-day moving average as well. And then yesterday we gapped up. Well, we retested for um, we gapped up. And then today it's even a, like a even more it, like today's candlestick setup is a very rare one from what I've been told and what I've studied. And it's called a WIC OEL. And that means the open equals the low and that open opened up in the wick of the previous day, so of yesterday. And that just showing tremendous strength in buyers versus sellers. And that's just my tangent on, on the S&P 500 chart.
1: Yeah, the, um, the so Marketsmith doesn't, yeah. Market doesn't show candles, Marketsmith doesn't show candles, but the wick is basically the, di- the difference between the close and the high of the day from the prior day. We opened in there and then broke to new highs uh is yeah. is a, another way of saying that
3: yeah um and then can you go back to the net highs and lows that was just my quick little yeah here's the down.
1: nasdaq highs.
3: yeah nasdaq you're still um in net lows but you can see that it's it's definitely contracted a lot i checked earlier today and we're still slightly in net low territory but price is improving so that is still a positive indication. We do want to see net highs um, come into the markets sooner or later. For the S and P five, no, for the New York Stock Exchange, we are in new highs territory or net high territory, and we continue to expand. So that's a good that's a good indication as we
1: as we rally. Yeah, that's that a little bit of a surprise. I, I would have ex- expected yeah. that the New York would have uh, trailed the Nasdaq on new highs and new lows because I would expected more financials to be uh, yeah, on on yeah. the New York. Do you have any insight to that?
3: I I do not. I, it's actually an interesting phenomenon. I think we should definitely look into that, why that's the case.
4: Um, All right,
3: you want to do NAZI we'll or uh, oh, yeah, the Nazi 200 and The Nizi okay. and NAZI. Yeah. Last week we talked about, I introduced this tool, how pretty good uh, market turns indicator. As you can see, last week I noted that we wanted to look for a hookup, and that's exactly what we got in the Nizi and NAZI. Nizzy's leading right now, and it's above the ten-day moving average. And the dots is what's called the parabolic SAR. So I just have both of those in. Um, I learned it off someone. So that's the RSI is also turning up, getting above that thirty level. So we're from these from this indicator, we're just at the start of a mar- of a at least an intermediate market turn. And then, can you pull up the S and P five hundred and Nasdaq above a two hundred day? So the S and P five hundred above the two hundred day percent percentage of stocks above the two hundred day is over fifty percent now. So that's like kind of a good gauge of healthy versus unhealthy. It's not always that binary, but um, it, it, we like to see breath expanding. You, as you can see here, we bounced off the two hundred day moving average. The two hundred day is still in an uptrend, so this is a good this is a good sign. Um, Nasdaq didn't even test the two hundred day, which which just shows even more strength, and we're rallying as well. So breath is increasing as as we. Stage the follow-through days and continue to follow through in these last couple of days. Um, I, I believe that is it for my segment in this week in breath.
1: Yep. All right. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. Let's move on uh, to Connor now. He's got. Uh, he wants to talk semiconductors this week. Yeah. So
4: Don, if you just want to pull up that uh, uh, comparison chart that I sent you. Yeah, so today I just wanted to talk about semiconductors. Um, they've been the clear outperformer all year, and they've been showing just immense relative strength and, quite frankly, probably the most hated sector in the market right now. You know, when you get broad participation from a group, you know, you get all these people that come out and say, oh, the P's high, they're overvalued, but the price is truth, and the price action has just shown that there's buyers for these stocks. So in that, so I use MarketSmith to make a comparison chart for like a handful of names that are the leading semiconductors this year. And what you can see is they're all up double digit percentage wise. Um, they're outperforming the market by a wide margin. And this is something that I think you can't ignore um, when, you, when you see this many stocks making new highs in a very tough market. That leads me to believe that, you know, if the market gets better and we flip trends and can sustain an uptrend, then I think these are the leading top names that you want to look at and want to buy on pullbacks because many of these are showing true market leader, um, characteristics. And I'll mention one, Don, if you want to just pull up the chart of RMBS. This is another uh, semiconductor that made new highs this week. And what was uh, very noteworthy about this one was that when it broke out of that um, flat top base, it had its highest volume in one year. But what really caught my eye was that the next day it followed through with even uh, more volume, which is rare. I mean, that's like the hallmark very of rare. A breakout is if it can break out with volume, but if it tops that volume the next day, um, just shows a lot of people want in on the stock. Um, and yeah, so there's just so many names in this group making new highs, um, showing tremendous relative strength, and I think that's where you want to focus because it's a waste of time and capital capital to settle for stocks that aren't in uptrends, that aren't in the leading group or the leading sector. And, just like Don mentions, mentions in his video all the time, how important buying stocks and uptrends is and you want names over the 200 day uh, moving average. And you know what Paul Tudor Jones always said was nothing good ever happens below the 200 day moving average. And that is really true. So uh, yeah, and that if, if you're more interested in those names, I can send anyone who wants that that comparison chart with all the top semiconductors that I'm seeing, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that and just just explain what we're looking for and and why we're attracted to this sector.
1: All right, good stuff, Connor. Five weeks from graduation now. That's right. Damn. But...
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: And uh, two months from moving to St. Augustine, Florida, to uh, begin your residency—oh
0: Six-month residency, oh, your six God, month residency
1: in person. Oh, same man. with Ted. Ted's uh, closer to Ted's closer to seven weeks away from graduation. But uh, those two fine <laughs> gentlemen are moving to St. Augustine uh, at the beginning of June, and uh, St. Augustine may ne- may never be the same after mm. uh, their their six-month <laughs> residency.
0: Yeah, they, they already called me for some uh, credit applications. They, hey, do you know these t- – you know Connor? Who's this Connor kid? I said, I've never heard <laughs> of him before in my life.
4: <laughs> Who? <laughs> no,
0: I put a word in – good word in for you guys, so you probably will qualify for the apartment.
4: <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very
1: sweet. Bam, bam. <laughs> All right, uh, Michael.
2: What's right on to uh, – um, what, what do you got for us this week? This week, I got a little segment on risk. I just wanted to um, briefly talk about risk a little bit and um, had a few good quotes um, that I thought were, were relevant um, and important. So the first one, uh, speaking of Paul Tudor Jones, um, it's a quote from Paul Tudor Jones and he said, risk control is the most important thing in trading. And then I'll go through a few quotes. Another one is never set yourself up for the knockout punch never risk what you cannot afford to lose. Whatever you do, make sure you're around tomorrow. Uh. The real risks are always the ones you don't foresee because if you do foresee them, you mitigate them or insure against them. And risk is really important because something we have to realize is no matter what kind of market you're in, whether you're in a bull market or a bear market, the last thing that you wanna do is, is take unnecessary risks. And put yourself in a position where you can blow up. There's a bunch of hedge funds now that were were on the wrong side of uh, the bond market. Um, they were actually on the right side of it for a while. They were they were short um, they were short treasuries um, because rates were going up. But we've had a huge move now, a lot of volatility in the bond market, and bond funds blew up. Um, then you got SVB blowing up because they didn't hedge their risks correctly um their interest rate risk so and and they they had a thriving very successful bank and they were doing really well for a long time and all it takes is one unforeseen risk that um if you're not positioned correctly and you're overextended and you're not prepared for it um you could you could blow up um decades and decades of of work so in the markets, the most important thing, first and foremost, is is manage your risk, and um, the upside will take care of itself. Um, you don't want to swing for the fences, try to hit home runs. It's just over time. May, maybe you can be successful in the short run and and get some some good gains, but in the long run, all it takes, yeah, is just one unforeseen risk that you didn't manage properly, and and you can lose a lot of money. Um, so that ties into also um there's another quote which is markets take the stairs up and the elevators down and the reason why that happens um something i've noticed is that markets really um have an upward bias you've got new money flowing into the markets all the time from from pension funds and and um defined benefit plans and there's always new money coming into the market and um they definitely have an upwards bias because you can have narratives that, that drive uh, markets to the upside. So like Tesla's a great, a great narrative stock that even if they didn't have the fundamentals to support it, it was the narrative of what could happen in the future that could drive that stock higher and higher. And it's very difficult to short a narrative. Um, but in terms of the opposite, when there's a negative narrative in the market, it, it typically doesn't really reflect in the prices and doesn't affect the markets. Until that risk actually happens, and at that point, you just take the elevator down. It moves super quickly, and um, it, it's uh, it, it's difficult to to get out of the way when that happens. So, so it's important to to manage risk, um, even when things look good or they look really bad. Um, and and yeah, just don't overextend yourself, um, and and always um, be be careful. Um, so that that's that's my segment.
1: And and one of the reasons, well, actually the biggest reason for ele, uh, escalator up, elevator down is the emotions. Uh, fear is a very strong emotion, and fear uh, losing impacts. There have been psychological studies. Uh, losing impacts the psyche more than twice as much as uh, winning does. So elevator up, escalator down. Here was the escalator down uh, from uh, Jerome Powell and Yellen, not saying what the markets wanted to, uh, but then the markets have recovered over the last three days, but look how slow the grind has been uh, to recover. And there was a lot of elevator up, escalator down uh, late last week. Uh, on some news from the banks that they didn't want to hear. Uh, yesterday, there was some, uh, several, I was commenting to the guys on a one-minute chart, you could see several tape bombs uh, where we would drop very quickly. And it was all tied to fears with the, the latest possible bank blow up, which was MCB, which was down huge yesterday, but is rebounding nicely today. And again, it's a situation of fear, uh, being a more powerful emotion than greed. That wraps it for uh, the uh, market review section this week. Dan, we'll throw it back to you.
0: Hey, listen, and, and thanks, Don. And and I wanted to comment on Michael's uh, thing, you know, about risk. You know, people a lot of times go, Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. Or I'm a little bit scared. And I say, Well, if you weren't nervous or you weren't scared, you don't understand the deal. I'd be nervous for you if you weren't nervous. Then we need a little bit more education. There's Michael's right. There's always risk in the market. So how do you manage that? But more importantly, you need to measure the level of risk in the market. So the regulators in the industry, our industry, always like to say it's all about your risk tolerance. And it's about your time frame. So everybody that looks like you, that's your age, your station in life, your net worth at 45 or whatever, and your risk needs a number 12 pie chart. If you're aggressive, a number 10, if you're moderate, which means you have a little bit more bonds, and then if you're kind of wimpy, you get a number eight, and that has more bonds. Guess what? All of those got creamed last year. Bonds were down 28 30%. So was the S&P at one point. So you really got creamed on both sides. That's why it's important. But the way that we do things and the way that we think things should be is why your risk tolerance is important and why your time frame is important the market's risk tolerance, the market's risk, the risk in the markets trumps your risk tolerance. So even though someone might tell me they're aggressive or they're moderately aggressive, therefore they need that number 10 or 12 pie chart, I don't believe them. It's not, they're not lying on purpose. They're not, it's just that the people's emotions change with the market. When the market's going up, everybody wants in. When the market's going down, everybody wants out. They'll hit their pain threshold. So even if you told me you're massively aggressive, if you lose 30, 35%, you're going to hit your pain threshold probably at the exact wrong time at that point. At that point, you probably should buy and hold. You should have got out a lot earlier or decided to ride it. But the point is, you're going to change and you're going to hit your, your pain threshold and you're going to sell. So we manage risk in the markets by dialing up and down the T-bills or the cash and, and the, the positions we have in the portfolio. It's, it's an easier way to go, in our opinion. And by the way, the market's time horizon trumps your time horizon. So you've got to dovetail your time horizon with the markets. Case in point, my mom, love her to death. She lives on the third floor of this nice uh, independent living condo, whatever. All the ladies on her, there are a couple guys left, but for the most part, they're widows. They outlived their husbands. They're 90 years old, and all they do is play bridge all day, and that's great, right? But because they're 90, they had 80%, 90% bonds because that's what they were told by their advisor. Never mind the bonds had the worst year they've ever had last year. So they lost 30% and they were kind of running around freaking out, worried about it. My mom was walking around going, you know what, I've seen this before. You know, we're down 10% or so, market's down 20, bonds are down more. I, I'm, I'm good, I've seen this. We did this in COVID and then we made a lot of money afterward, I'm fine. It's, it makes it an easier, smoother ride to be able to pull through. So just because you're old, you don't need bonds. Just because you're young, the theory, the theory is if you're young and dumb and 25, you can live through the next four major bear lo- markets during your lifetime. By the way, they're gonna be more like 16, but we'll call it four for purposes here. And, and But here's a novel idea. Why don't we see if we can miss 50% half or, or, or something big, miss, miss a big chunk of that bear market. Then you can retire at 60 rather than 80. So if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. If it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. It doesn't matter as much your age. And as long as you have position sizing and risk control and you're controlling your your drawdown somewhat, it makes it an easier ride and it makes it easier. Anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, folks. Listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. We grow organically through word of mouth. We don't do much advertising at all. Just send them to RevereAsset.com. Up in the right-hand corner is our subscribe button. That will send out our daily market insight video. Don does every night after the market uh, is closed. It'll go in your inbox about 5:30 ish, uh, give or take. Or Menos. and it tells what the market, long-term, mid-term, and short-term the state of the mar- three levels, time frames of the market, what the different sectors are doing. And then we talk about what we actually did in our portfolio. We're probably the most transparent advisor that I am aware of. We only get paid by you and we are a fiduciary. Next to that subscribe button, there's a uh, contact us button if you want to reach out and ask me a question or you have a topic you'd like discussed on this show, just let me know. And lastly, if you go to YouTube, you can go to Revere Asset, just Revere Asset, and hit subscribe. Zach will do wrap package this up. We we tape this Friday morning, and by normally noon or 1230 uh, Central Time, it goes out and it's on YouTube, and you'll be able to see it before the market close on Friday. If you're just getting the newsletter, it'll come in your inbox Saturday morning. So if you really want it more timely, you can go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Don also has done a bunch of good educational videos on gap rules, sell discipline, managing portfolio risk, as well as all of our archive of daily market insight videos and our podcast. You can always email any of us, dan at revereasset.com, Don, Ted, Connor, or Michael at revereasset.com. And you can always call us old school at 855- Real wealth. Folks, we'll talk to you next week on your money.
1: Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.